welcome to another episode of the Rodeo Kids Podcast. If this is your first time, thanks for tuning in. If you've been here before and come back for more, we're glad that you have returned. Once again, we have another amazing guest, and I don't know why that ever surprises me because one thing that I want to remind everybody of is how awesome this Western industry is that we get to live in and partake in and be a part of. People are so willing to help. And maybe you'll have that one person that comes to mind right now and you're like, this guy was a jerk or I don't feel that way about everybody. Yeah, we're going to have a few bad eggs. But I would say for the most part, 99.9% of the people that I have met in this industry are willing to help and to share those secrets and to see and want to see us succeed. And this guest today is just another example of how awesome and willing and genuine people are in this industry and how much they want to see you succeed. So who is it? We had a five-time Cinch Timed Event Championships champion. Not once, not twice, not three or four times, but five times. This man has achieved such an amazing feat. He is a true horseman and a God-fearing cowboy who does also want to see you guys succeed. And today he shares some of his secret sauce as to how he has accomplished the things that he has accomplished. Joining Rodeo Kids team leader Connor Essig is our Rodeo Kids podcast guest, Casey Jones. And just to clarify, this isn't the Casey Jones that you've seen in the steer wrestling at the NFR lately. This is the other Casey Jones who has won the Cinch Timed Event Championships five times. So he is full of awesome information. Clearly, just by that title, an amazing horseman and an all-around talent. So we are excited to, again, hear his secret sauce. So here we go. Without further ado, Connor Essick interviewing Casey Jones. Hi, everyone. My name is Connor Essick. Welcome to this Rodeo Kids podcast with a man who has been a great mentor and hero to me, Mr. Casey Jones. He is a five-time Cinch Time Event champion and one of the greatest horsemen I've ever met. I'm honored to have him here today, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity to talk with him. Welcome, Casey Jones. Well, thanks. That was quite a bit of bragging that probably wasn't necessary, but it's okay. You're welcome. Casey, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in rodeo? Uh, I got started, my dad roped in amateur rodeo quite a bit in Wyoming and Montana. And so I was fortunate enough to grow up 18 miles from the Cody Night Rodeo. And so we would work all day and then go to the Cody Night Rodeo at night. I started out in the calf scramble when I was real little and then moved to the steer riding and then the team roping and then calf roping and then ended up team roping, calf roping, and steer wrestling at Cody Night Rodeo in high school. So that's how I got my start, that and practicing a lot at home. That is awesome. Can you tell us some of the challenges and you faced early in your career and how you overcame them? Uh, yeah, some of the challenges, you know, growing up uh, in Northwest Wyoming, you know, one of the challenges was the weather. And um, so you, sometimes you have to get creative. That's why my dad figured out to rope a mule because we couldn't always afford roping steers. So I learned to heel roping a mule. And, um, you know, there was times that we, until we built our indoor arena, that you just have to put on some warm clothes and when you were trying to practice in the wintertime because, uh, you know, that's a challenge when it's miserable cold outside and you need to practice. So sometimes you just got to toughen up and go ahead and do it. Uh, you know, and the other things, you know, 
rodeoing isn't the cheapest sport you can get involved in. So it takes a truck and a trailer and horses and stuff like that. And so I went to the high school rodeo hauling my horses in the back of a pickup in a homemade stock rack. So sometimes you got to sacrifice a little bit. And if, if the other kids are poking fun at you when you pull into the rodeo and, and uh, are looking for a place to back up and unload your horses, you better be uh, tough enough that when you leave the rodeo, you got the prizes and they're not poking fun at you anymore. It's like the quote, it's not what you pull up in, it's what you pull out or pull out with. Right. You know, I always, <laughs> you know, I always say, I don't care. I don't care how I have to get to the rodeo, but when I get there, I want to pull out the best horse there and I want to be more prepared than anybody else. Hasn't always been the case, but that's what I try to do. Yep. Casey, I've gotten the privilege of having you help me with roping, horsemanship, and life skills, and I consider you to be a mentor to me. And so did you have any mentors along the way? Oh, I did. You know, when I grew up, I, uh, there were some several individuals that, you know, had won world championships. And when I decided that that's what I wanted to do, I went around and uh, asked oh, a bunch of them, you know, one simple question that helped me learn a lot along the way. And I just asked them, uh, you know, if they could start all over again, what would they do? And it doesn't matter if you're in a sport or in any kind of business, you know, you want to find somebody that's successful in that business. And that's probably the best question you can ask them is, you know, if you could start all over again, what would you do? Because it will help you eliminate a lot of mistakes, you know, because they say a, a smart person learns from their own mistakes, but a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. So if you can, if you can learn from someone else and not make the same mistakes they did, then you're a little farther ahead in the game. That is awesome advice. I love that. Heroes that you, you know, look up to. And sometimes those heroes don't always uh, do things, you know, that you feel like heroes will do. So I always wanted to have heroes, but, um, you know, one of the, one of the things I decided when I saw them doing some things that I didn't think heroes really should be doing, um, I decided that, you know, if I ever had the chance to be somebody's hero, I was going to be the best I could be. That's very cool. So when I first met you, I was just learning how to rope. I could barely ride a horse. Um, I remember you trying to figure out a way to get me to throw down at the target and you picked up a rock and had me rope it. How did you learn how to be able to see what ropers needed to fix and learn to to teach everyone as individuals? Well, I have to give my wife credit for coming up with the rock principle. So now that's why everybody gets a rock. But um, I don't know, you know, everybody's an individual and everybody comes with different challenges. And, and for especially because you were quite young when you were starting, um, it's hard for kids to have their posture and their swing and their delivery and everything. And a calf's, you know, neck is quite a bit lower than you are sitting on your horse. So I was trying to figure out a way to get you to throw down more at the target. Um, but you know, everybody has their weaknesses. And so you have to try to figure out what your weaknesses are what other people's weaknesses are because you're only as strong as your weakest link so you've got to try and make your you know not have a hole in your program you know i say 
you can't have just a couple pieces of pie to rope. You got to have the whole pie. So you have to have, you know, your horsemanship and your technique and, and, uh, all that stuff to go along with it. And then you have to get a handle on the mental game because I've always said that, you know, roping is 50% physical and 50% mental, but winning is 90% mental and 10% physical. Mm. Can you say that again? You want me to say that again? You want me to repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> it's 50% mental and 50% physical, but winning is 90% mental and 10% physical. Okay, that's awesome. I'd never heard it said that way. Well, that's just my opinion. Everybody has an opinion. I just happen to like mine. Oh, that's right. What would you say one of your weaknesses has been and how did you overcome it? Or turn it into a strength? Well, I don't know. You know, I never had the money to buy the kind of horses that I really felt like I needed. And um, so I... I figured out, you know, that I didn't have enough horsepower going to the pro rodeos. And so I figured out that, um, it's, it takes a lot of money to go and buy the high end horses that you need to win. So if you don't have that kind of money, then you either have to figure out how to fix a horse that somebody else can't get along with. And, or, you know, you have to go to work and come up with the money or you're going to have to train that horse from scratch. And so I figured out um, that I was going to have to put some effort into picking up horses that other people hated and um, being able to go on and, and turn those horses around and win on a horse, you know, that somebody else really didn't like. And mm -hmm. to do that, you've got to, you've got to figure out, you know, how to let that horse know you know, when they do things right and take the same amount of pressure off of them that you put on them. And, you know, the funny thing about it is when I finally uh, figured out a lot of those horsemanship techniques, I ended up, you know, with people giving me horses that, uh, you know, they either couldn't get along with or didn't like, or, you know, give me horses because people wanted to promote their horse program. So um, when I put the effort into the horsemanship, that really changed, um, the quality of horses that I got to ride. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of patience riding horses that have troubles and stuff too. How did you uh, handle that? Well, you know, like I say, you know, I've bought some horses that, uh, you know, people couldn't get along with them in the box or, you know, out in the arena. And so, you know, when you, when you figure out how to make that horse comfortable in a pressure situation, that usually depends on how big a problem the horse has. Um, yeah, you might be, I, I joke around and say that you have to live with those horses for a while and you really do because you're on the same team. And if they're, if they're scared of their teammate or they're scared of the pressure, then you have to live with them until they gain the confidence, um, to be able to work when the pressure's on. So it does mm. take but it's well worth it if you, you know, get a horse for a cheap price and you turn around and win something big on it, then, you know, the satisfaction is well worth it. Yeah. It's very rewarding. So how did you learn your horsemanship skills? How did I? Yeah. Um, probably because, um, I kind of had to learn to rope on some sail barn banks a little bit, what I call, you know, I, 
or what I call fixer uppers. You know, my dad, he would get horses in to train or, you know, they would buy horses at the sale and bring them home. And uh, some of them had some real issues. And so I, I tried a lot of different methods and I figured out that a whip and spur method didn't work very good. So I decided I better figure out a better way to get along with those horses. Uh, like I said, because that horse is on, you're on the same team. And so fighting with your teammate is not a good thing when you're on the same team. So um, I started, you know, just trying new things because, you know, one thing I've learned through the years is the only way you can get better is if you're willing to change. And, you know, you've got to think outside the box sometimes to figure out, you know, a horse is an individual too. They're a, you know, live and breathe an individual. So you've got to figure out, you know, how their mind works and then try to figure out how to get the, because they're a flight animal, you've got to figure out how to get that flight animal and all that, you know, athletic ability and strong, all this stuff run and stop and all that. You've got to get it funneled down in the direction that you want to do it, you know, that you need to be able to win on them and you want to be able to do it without, you know, getting them mad or scared. So that's mm -hmm. why I figured out that, you know, you had to take the same amount of pressure off that you put on a horse or you'll uh, blow them up or pick a fight with them. Mm -hmm. so that, and, I, and I ran into some horses that were uh, really challenges. And I'm thankful for those horses because they did make me think outside the box and come up with a different method to, you know, get along with them. Because it had already been whipped and spurred, so that wasn't going to work. I had to try something different. Are there Have there been horses in your past that you just didn't get along with? Um, you know, there's been a couple. Um, you know, and I hate to say it, I mean, there's ho some horses that are too far gone, and that's a sad situation. But, you know, yeah, there's there's been a few that just, uh, you know, like I heard a, a guy say one time, you know, some horses just don't want to be famous, you know, and some horses <laughs> want to do what we want to do. And some horses just uh, are too far gone. And some of them, you know, it's just not what they want to do. And so I've learned not to fight with them. You know, as long as I'm making progress with a horse, then I'm, you know, okay with that. But if they ever get to a point to where they're not making progress and they just don't, they just don't want to do it. I don't fight with them anymore yeah i think it is true that every horse has a place and a purpose and sometimes it's with us in the rodeo arena and sometimes it's they just want to be a trail horse and that's okay sometimes oh yeah that's exactly right that's true for riders too you know sometimes we push and push yeah. and push to, to do something that at the end of the day we really we really aren't one of my best friends uh she high school rodeoed and college rodeoed and did the whole thing and put in the time and had the horses and she uh, is a banker now. And they did a, an assessment on what uh, their characteristics were. And there's like 26 of them that they ranked from top to bottom. And at the end of it, uh, number 24 was competitive. So really? she no longer rodeos. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all individuals and we all pick a little different. Well, that's right.
Casey, it was an honor to help you at the Simch Timed Events. Can you tell us a little bit about the Timed Events and how long you've been competing there? Um, well, the Timed Event started, uh, I don't know, like 40-some years ago. There was a group of guys that were sitting around the rodeo at Cheyenne, and they were talking about who was the best all-around Timed Event cowboy, you know, who could head and heel and rope calves and bulldog and trip and all this and that. And so these guys were sitting around there, and I, I, I don't know, I, I think Ed Gaylord was one of them that were sitting in this circle, and they said, well, let's just have an event and find out. And so that's how the uh, timed event came about. And um, so that's why, you know, there's five go-arounds where you have to head a steer, rope a calf, heel a steer, bulldog a steer, and trip a steer. And you have to do that five times. And they, they make sure that it's in a big arena with big, strong calves and big, strong steers because uh, apparently they decided that the talking was done. They were going to have an event and really find out who the best time event cowboy was. And so that's how the event came about. And um, I think it's been going on for, gosh, 40, 40 plus years now, I think. I think I've been to it 30 times now. Um, wow. It's a great event. You can't, uh, I tell people, you can't luck into winning the timed event. You better come with some skills and some horsepower if you're going to win that event. So. How do you prepare for something like that? Well, you can ask Connor. You got to get up and run in the morning and you got to practice and ride a lot of horses. And I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to be this year, but hopefully now that I got an arena done and everything, the horses all lined up. Hopefully by next year I can really be prepared. But yeah, it's a lot of work. It's uh, it's not a day off getting ready for it. You can only imagine. That's like a marathon, but with five events in it, separate sports. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's what it. I mean, the nickname of the event is the Iron Man. It's called the, the Saints Time Event Championship, but all the cowboys and everybody that knows about it just call it the Iron Man. I believe it. What's your favorite memory from the time events? My favorite memory from the time event is probably the first year that I won it. I uh, literally didn't have enough money to drive home because I was, uh, I'd been through a divorce and things had got a little rough for me there and I was going through a tough time in my life. And so anyway, I, uh, when I pulled into the time event, I literally didn't have enough money to drive home. And, but I practiced hard for it, and I had um, done a lot of praying and whatnot. But anyway, I won enough in the first go-around to cover my fees, so I knew at least my fees were covered. And so after that, I just kept competing harder and harder, and I ended up um, winning it. Uh, and I went from not having a dime in my pocket to uh, – $43,500 in my pocket in three days. So I was, I was in a lot better mood after that. I'll say that. Watch is that in 1993, they'll notice that when I tied my, when I threw my bulldog and steer and I tied my last steer down, I didn't throw my hat. I didn't hoop and holler. I didn't make a victory lap or anything. I just got on my horse and rode out of the arena because I was so relieved that I had enough money to get home. So the next day when I was driving home in my, truck i had uh i had a new saddle and all kinds of prizes and all kinds of stuff in the truck and uh when i was 
got about 30 miles outside of Guthrie, Oklahoma. I looked over there at all that stuff, and I realized how much money I had in my pocket, and I took my hat off and threw it in the truck and hooped and hollered and had a big victory dance, and nobody even saw it. Because I was just driving down the road. <laughs> That's cool. Well, you're the one who needed to be able to celebrate the victory the most anyway. That's right. My wife thinks that uh, the reason that I wear that buckle is it was because that was a year I did it all by myself. Mm. Yeah. How did you like mentally, you know, as you talk about the mental game and how winning is 90% mental and we all go through tough times. Like, how did you, how did you persevere in that time? Well, you know, that's where each one of us have to dig down a little deep sometimes. And, uh, you know, life isn't always easy. It wasn't meant to be easy. And, uh, but we also know that there's a higher power and we're not here just by chance. And so, you know, when things really get tough, sometimes you got to get out of your knees and call on that higher power when you do really need some help. So I definitely did a lot of praying before I went in the arena. You know, I didn't pray to win. I just prayed that I'd remember the things that I'd practiced. I prayed my horse would work to the best of their ability. Um, you know, I prayed that uh, draw good calves and steers to compete on. And, um, you know, then I prayed that I would have the confidence to compete to the best of my ability. And so, yeah, there was a lot of pressure there, but that's how I tried to, uh, you know, overcome it. Mm -hmm. So did you have any other ways you handled the pressure of the timed events? The, you know, the best way to handle the pressure of the tiny events is show up there prepared. You know, you've got to be physically and mentally prepared. Um, you know, if you, if you know if you have a really good horse, that it gives you a lot of confidence when you go to the rodeo. And so your, your horsepower is really important. But also, you know, making sure that you know, you know, your technique in each one of your events, being able to go back to the basics and be able to take each run, you know, one step at a time, knowing that you have to be able to get out, get in position, you know, rope the calf or steer with the right technique and and uh, ride your horse the way you need to. You know, you, you've got to break it down into a, a uh, lot of little steps. And if, if you break, you know, something big, if you can break something big down into one little step at a time, it makes that big thing look a lot easier to attain or to accomplish. So mm -hmm. that's what I try to do, break everything down into little steps. Yeah, and that's true for a technique or for a goal. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. You know, it's the one little step at a time that helps you climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're headed in the right direction, you need to keep moving. What thoughts do you have on how to prepare for multiple events? Roy Cooper said you, you couldn't just practice. You had to practice perfect. You know, so you, you've got to make, even if you're roping a dummy, you've got to make your practice as realistic as possible. You know, that's why I don't ever rope a dummy standing on the ground. I'm always standing on a bucket or a barrel or you know, on a horse, um, you just don't see me because it's not realistic. So 
I think you need to, even if you're practicing roping a dummy in the cold weather in Wyoming, you still have to make that practice as realistic as you can. And so I, I think that's important. I think um, being able to rope and ride and think is extremely important. And so you've got to have your mental game down um, because, like I said, winning is 90% mental. And if you back in the box saying, oh, gee, I hope I don't miss, well, that's not um, that's not going to help you. So you've got to back in the box thinking, okay, I need to do this and this and this and this to be able to catch and win. And those are the things you've got to be able to focus on. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to focus on accomplishing the goal, not thinking about what might go wrong. Yeah. How do you eliminate the noise around you? You know, like when you back in the box, especially like, you know, Connor's in high school still, and it doesn't matter what age you are, uh, you know, the fear pressure, the sometimes parents chirping in your ear or uh, people in the box, that kind of noise. Like, how do you shut that out? Well, you know, you just got to become mentally tough. And, you know, I don't know until you get yourself in a position on back in the box at enough rodeos. You know, I don't know any way to get mentally tough without just being involved and, and going up, you know, going through it over and over again, you know, because mm -hmm. some people that, that when they get in a position to win, they really capitalize on it and um, follow through. And then you see some people that get themselves in a position to win and they uh, choke, you know, it happens in all sports. And so you just got to become mentally tough and, and that, I guess, to me, that's an individual. It's probably an individual thing for each person because we all come from a different background. But you know, I've always said you got to be hungry, and if you're if you're hungry enough, you know, it's a difference. You know, I I, I know what it's like to back in the box, knowing that my next meal's on the line, and. Mm -hmm. And that, that right there will make you mentally tough, you know, or not having enough money, you feel, you know, or enough money to drive home. But when you get yourself in that position and not everybody gets in that position because some, you know, some individuals, you know, and kids growing up have, have never had to worry about where their next meal was coming from. But I can tell you, if you ever get in a position where you got to worry about where your next meal is coming from, that'll make you mentally tough because you'll eliminate all the noise and you will focus on the task at hand, in my opinion. How do you overcome a bad practice? Hey, that's a really, really good question. And I was just roping with a guy the other day and we were talking about that. Because, you know, you can, you can get done with the practice and focus on everything that went wrong because you're never going to have this so-called perfect practice. So, um, you know, at the end of our practice session, I said, well, you know, cause I missed a couple steers and I wasn't happy about this and that. I said, well, you know, my horse was great in the box, so I'll be happy about that. And, um, you know, my horse worked good out in the arena every steer that I caught. And so you, you've got to work on the things, you know, your weaknesses, because 
you know, you got to overcome your weaknesses. But at the end of a practice session, you've got to stop and say, okay, what went right? Instead of focusing on everything that went wrong. Because if you focus on everything that goes wrong, then your confidence will go down and you'll be mad at yourself and kicking rocks all the way back to the barn. But you still have to keep your confidence up saying, okay, what went right? You know, did my horse work good? Did I rope good? Did I make, did I make one good run? Um, and if you made one good run, then you've got to focus on what you did that made that run good. You know, as I, as I try to think back about, you know, the, some of the best runs that I've ever made in my life, I try to focus on those runs instead of the runs that didn't go good. So I think a lot of people get to focusing on, you know, the runs at the rodeo or this and that, you know, that went wrong instead of focusing on the ones that went right and gaining more confidence rather than losing confidence in that situation. Yeah. And just to add to that, like, is there really good in practice, good and bad practices, or are there just practices that sometimes we identify the places that are still our weaknesses, but we get to see our strengths too, um, you know, rather than a, good and bad is such a generalization of like, oh, well, I missed a few calves, so it went bad. Well, that's not necessarily true because just like you said, there's still all of these other things that probably went right or that you found out about yourself to prepare yourself for the next run so that when you get to the rodeo, you are you know what to work on. Oh, it's definitely where your focus is. Mm -hmm. And times in a, you know, situation like that, you just have to change what you're focusing on. Indeed. Casey, I've always admired your faith. Can you describe how your faith has helped you? Yes, a lot. Um, you know, because in in the sport that I'm involved in, rodeo, you know, you don't have you don't have a coach, you don't have a trainer, you don't have you know somebody telling you what time to go to bed and that you can't go out and party, you know, and all this and that. And so, as I was you know rodeoing and watching these other individuals. You know, there were successful ones and there's some that weren't successful, but um, at a young age, you know, and thankful for my parents and whatnot, that um, I was able to learn, you know, and gain a, um, what I call a spiritual foundation, because if, if you don't have a spiritual foundation to base all of your decisions off of, because every decision that you make, whether you know it or not, every decision that you make will either bring you closer to Christ or farther away from Christ. And if you don't have that spiritual foundation to base all of your decisions off of, then you got to be really careful because it only takes one mistake to change your life forever. And so you only have to get drunk one time and kill somebody. You only have to have sex one time to get pregnant. You only have to do drugs one time and, you know, get messed up. And that can change your life forever. So you need to have a spiritual foundation to base every decision off of. Now, you're still going to make mistakes, but that's the wonderful thing about, you know, being a Christian is we know that even making mistakes, we can repent, ask for forgiveness, and move on and not dwell on those mistakes. But, you know, if we're 
trying to do our very best. We try to eliminate, you know, mistakes that send us backwards. And, mm -hmm. you know, being able, being able to share that with other people and try and help them eliminate mistakes. You know, I, I've, you know, seen a lot of people, um, that get sidetracked, you know, with the drinking drugs and sex and whatever, you know, there's any number of things that you can get sidetracked from. And I, I've seen those individual and I, I, you know, and what it does to them. And I also have been in the truck late at night with those individuals and and they've realized that that has not brought them peace and happiness. And so it's interesting when you're having an all night drive with some rough and tough cowboys, how they realize that they're not happy. What they're doing isn't bringing them the peace and comfort that they want and how they will ask you about it. They would never do it, you know, around their buddies at the rodeo. But when it's just you and them driving in a truck late at night, it's interesting how they, they want to be happy and they want to make better decisions. And a lot of them just don't know how to get around to it. So I've always been thankful, you know, that I, I was able to learn, you know, faith in God and get somewhat of a spiritual foundation for, I didn't get sidetracked with some of those other things that, because, you know, drugs and alcohol have, have killed some of the best talent that ever lived. And so, um, you know, that's why I say that, you know, try to tell kids to stay away from drugs and alcohol because under the influence of drugs and alcohol, every other sin can be committed and you don't want to get sidetracked with that. Mm -hmm. And that's even the, I, the, the vision, what we see as success of winning, being on the top of the leaderboard, having the saddles and the trophies, if you're not fulfilled in Christ, then you can have all of the cultural uh, association to what we call success and still not have that fulfillment or happiness. No, it, it's impossible, you know, because if, if you don't have a spiritual foundation, it doesn't matter what success you have, you can lose it just as fast as you can gain it. Mm -hmm. You know, and in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're all born on this earth and none of us are getting out of here alive. We're all going to die and we only get to take two things with us. And that's our relationships with others and the knowledge that we've gained. Everything else stays here. Those are the only two things we get to take with us. And when a person realizes that, then instead of focusing on the almighty dollar or focusing on, you know, getting fame and glory or money, they realize that that all stays here anyway. And so that's just part of the process. If that's what we choose to go after. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate that. So part of our mission at Rodeo Kids is to expand the sport of rodeo and the Western lifestyle. What are some ways we can do that? Um, well, it's like my dad said, you know, 50 years ago, if you ask a little boy or girl, you know, boy, what he wanted to be and he grows up, he would say cowboy. And now that we've, you know, there's video games and all these sci-fi movies and all this other stuff coming on, um, you know, that are getting a lot of the kids sidetracked, in my opinion, from being anxiously engaged in a good cause. And um, I think kids 
I think kids need to understand that if they truly want to be happy, you know, that they have to be anxiously engaged in a good cause, but they also have to develop talents and skills and relationships to build their confidence because everybody wants to be confident. And I think that we need to do our best to try and get more kids involved with any of the, you know, Western, you know, farming ag lifestyle. And I don't have all the answers, but I do know that, you know, that they've done studies of, um, oh, you know, individuals that have grown up and become CEOs and done all this stuff for a lot of big companies. And that a high percentage of those have a, you know, farming ranching background. And it, it must have to do with, you know, being able to get out of bed early, work all day long with a smile on your face and have the responsibility of taking care of animals and things that can't take care of themselves. So I think we've got to find a way to make that more appealing because one of the problems that I see in our world today is, you know, it's not, it's not a cool thing for kids to get out of bed and work all day long anymore. You know, years ago they had to because the family needed the money, but now we live in kind of a pampered society and to where, you know, kids nowadays, kids want a job and, and they first thing they want to know is how much am I going to get paid? How hard am I going to have to work? And so they've changed from saying, yeah, I want to go work hard and really be something. They say, no, I want a cushy job where I just, you know, sit at a desk and don't, you know, do anything, but I get paid and have a lot of time off and this and that. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think we need to change that with kids and try to get them to where they want to go out and work all day long instead of, because, you know, I always say if you get something for nothing, it only hurts your character. So I, I think, you know, getting kids involved and, um, you know, I think Hollywood has a lot to do with, you know, trying to not promote the best lifestyle for kids also. Um, you know, they don't have as many of the Western movies and whatnot, and it's just not cool to be a cowboy and as much as it used to be. And I think, um, you know, that everybody in the Western, you know, agricultural lifestyle needs to get all the young people they can involved. Um, whether it's, you know, letting them ride your horse or, you know, do whatever. Um, you know, I, I try to, when I go to a rodeo now, um, you know, I try to let every little kid, you know, pet my horse or whatever, just to try and spark some interest, you know, of them wanting to get involved in something like that. And I think everybody needs to work at that um, to protect our, way of life because it's it's dwindling in my opinion well and even the simplicity of riding in the grand entry you know that's something where um at least at some of our smaller uh, amateur association rodeos here in iowa and even the pro rodeos you know it's like pulling teeth to get people to ride in the grand entry but that's where we get to display how many of us there are and that we're proud of it and that the the kids and the fans and the parents get to get to point and see like, wow, look at all these people who live this lifestyle and who do this. And 
you know, I remember as a little kid that being like the highlight of it, seeing everybody come in and it was the beginning of the rodeo. And like, that was so cool. And um, I think as cowboys and cowgirls, you know, just as you're talking about just even letting people pet your horse or letting a kid sit in the saddle or um, whatever it is to just get that, even the tiniest little spark can make a huge difference. Yes. Oh, I agree. I agree. Because and appreciating the rodeo queens because they play a big part in that connection between the community and the what's happening in the arena and nothing as little girls and little boys seeing those pretty rodeo queens um, really makes a big difference too. Oh, sure. And you never know where you're going to plant some seeds that'll really grow. You just never mm -hmm. know. Casey, got, I know you love to write poems. Do you have one you want to share with us? Gee, how long the one you want? However long you want to do it. Oh, okay. Well, um, last year we lost back Baxter Black, and so I'll tell you a poem that I wrote to Baxter Black, okay? Okay. Hadn't told it for a while. A cowboy poet <laughs> wrote my phone from Colorado Way, said his juices wasn't flowing and he'd like to come and stay a day or two at my place so he could get a feel of how a cowboy does his work so his verses would sound real. Right there. And when I hung up the phone, I felt the early graying of my hair. When he pulled up, I saw real quick his outfit was a bust. His saddle needed neat's foot. His bit was caked with rust. All his clothes were starched real stiff. His boots could not be newer. I thought that it'll break his heart when they're soiled with manure. Said he didn't have a horse, he'd like to borrow one. A kid's horse wasn't on his mind, but he sure didn't need that done. So I picked him out of sorrel that I thought was safe enough. And the wind picked up and we pondered if our poet was tough enough. We had to help him saddle up and straighten his blanket some. By now I'm really thinking, where is this Yehu from? We went to move some heifers from one pasture to another. By the time we reached the gate, our friend began to shudder. It seemed pristine conditions hadn't blessed our morning drive, unlike the times he wrote of when you're glad to be alive. The wind had blown a chill right up the spine of Poet Bowl when suddenly he chattered, ain't you fellers getting cold? From there the day just fell apart as luck at us would scoff. Having him around was like five good men riding off. But we finally made the gather because our friend had gotten lost and we wasn't going to hunt him till the cattle were a cost. We had him right there at the gate with a milling all around. And as the leader saw the gate, we heard that dreaded sound. A squall right from the pit of hell was followed with a yelp. Our cowboy poet found us and here he came to help. Four hours of hard work scattered through the neighbor's barbed wire fence with him a riding at us like he thought he had some sense. So the first part of the afternoon on splicing wire was spent. I think the poet figured out what moving cattle slow and easy meant. I walked him out to his truck and bid a cold farewell. Better luck next time, I told him, and he said, ah, go to hell. And as I watched his taillights fade away and disappear, I worried that the poet might want to come and help again next year. But today he got his crawful, and I hope that he has heck, trying to find a rhyme with we had one hellacious wreck. But I hear he's found a hobby that suits him best, I'm hoping. He gave up cowboy poetry and started in team roping. <laughs> so there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. Hey, I hadn't recited it for a while. It took me a minute. That's all right. Practice. Yep. Maybe I need to sit down and write another new poem. There we go. I need to get it wrote down, doggone it. Well, we can't wait to hear it. 
All right. Well, I'll get to work on it. It's going to be called the simple life. All right. So what is this call all going out to do now? Or who's it going to? Well, the whole world can hear it. Oh, they can? They just got to click into a Zoom deal or are they on it right now? No. So it's a podcast. It'll be put on like, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just music things and it's it'll just be on rodeokids.com and people can go hear it Connor, yeah Connor, it don't have four legs and hair you're a little ahead of me yeah so kind of like connor was saying our big goal with rodeo kids is um at least the podcast part of it is having conversations like this because just like you said you know in the beginning how you find you found people along the way and uh, you asked him the question, if you could start all over again, what would you do? And so letting kids and parents and just whoever uh, listen to things like this is a way of, you know, learning that kind of stuff and building that network, even though we might not know each other, you know, closely or even in person, it's still uh, a great way to build, like, you know, who you surround yourself with. So we just try to have guests that have been there, have done that and who have something to offer and the kids get together sometimes and talk about uh, just some things that, you know, they struggle with and share it with the world so that they uh, how what they struggle with, how they overcome it. And uh, so we can all grow together and uh, learn how to become better. Yeah. I like that. You want me to find you some more guys to talk to? Sure. Connor's got five more podcasts to do this year. Okay. Well, I yeah. will get I will get a few of them locked down for you. I would appreciate that. And you can do that again. We can do that again. Thank you, Casey. So before we end this call, Casey, I've got one last question for you, and it's your own question. If you could do it all over again, what would you do? Oh, (laughs) boy, oh, boy. Um, If I could do it all over again, I would have even got more prepared than I was. Um, I would have spent more time putting the right horses and saddles together. And I would have spent a little more time, you know, even perfecting some of the techniques that I was trying to learn. Um, but I would have been more prepared, um, financially, you know, it costs so much to rodeo. I, I probably would have, you know, went to work or something and, and had a little more money to start with because man, it's tough out there when you're, you know, several states away and you're running out of money and you're still trying to win that's that's a lot of pressure but yeah i i would have just gotten a little more prepared probably would have went to more um amateur rodeos and a few things before i took off to the pro rodeos um not that i wasn't ready i just i didn't quite have the resources that i needed to do it and be more successful at it than i was mm-hmm. Well, and the cool thing about rodeo too is that there's no age limit. Like you don't have to stop doing it. You can start whenever you want. You can stop whenever you want. Right. And uh, I probably would have even asked more people um, if they could do it all over again. Well, you know, if they could start all over again, what would they do? I would have asked more people. You bet. Very good. Casey, it's been an honor to have your support and I thank God for putting you in my life and for you believing in me and thank you for taking time, but more importantly, thank you for all you've done for me and it was an honor to get to do this with you today, so thank you.
All right. Well, you're very welcome. It was a good time. For taking the time out of your day today to tune in to the Rodeo Kids podcast. If you haven't already, click that follow button so you can stay up to date on our podcast as they are released every week on Thursday with our team leaders and guests throughout the industry. Before you go, we wanted to share that we have teamed up with the Cowboy Roundup organization to raffle off a trailer. You have the chance to win one of three trailers. For just $50, your name goes in the hat. And if your name is drawn, you have the chance to win any one of those trailers. It's an awesome opportunity. And what's even cooler about it is that all of the proceeds go towards scholarships for kids to attend clinics, camps, and lessons. All educational materials. So kids, we give away two monthly scholarships for kids to attend those clinics, camps, and lessons. How do we make sure it goes towards that? Well, we are a little different. We send the funds directly to the coach or the clinician to make sure that the funds are allocated correctly and that your donations and raffle tickets and all of that uh, financial assistance to make this nonprofit LLC happen and these opportunities to continue to happen are allocated as intended because we want to help this industry grow and we can do that by making sure that our kids are educated and have the opportunities to succeed, to thrive, to grow their networks, and to have the support that they need to chase those gold buckle dreams. So head on over to rodeokids.com to learn more about how you can sign up to win a new horse trailer. With your day, we wish you the best of luck, safe travels, and God bless while chasing your own gold buckle dreams.